the Bible says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of God, the same is born of God. Wow. I preach sometimes about the one thing that determines salvation. And I use that verse right there. Another is what was said to the Philippian jailer. What did he say? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Good sermon title right there, isn't it? What must I do to be saved? Paul answered in a great way, great theological way. Remember what he said? Believe on the Lord Jesus, thou and thy household, and thou shalt be saved. The one thing, if you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the same is born of God. Believing is the key thing, isn't it? As a man believeth in a heart, in his heart, and thinketh in his heart, so is he. Amen. And if you, in your heart, the Bible said, have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto us, we are born of God. Born of God. Jesus looked a young man in the eye and just said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He said, how in the world can I enter into my mother's womb again and go through that process? And Jesus said, you're not talking about the same birth I'm talking about. I'm talking about born of the Spirit. Amen. All of us have two birthdays. Amen. Two birthdays. Why is that, Pastor? You got a physical birthday. And from the looks of some of you, you had a bunch of them. So you ought to know a lot about that. I've had my share too. <laughs> but every one of us have a spiritual birthday is the day we accepted the Lord Jesus. Amen. The time we accepted the Lord Jesus. Now I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up in a church of God pastor's home. All I have ever known is singing, shouting, preaching, praying, good old-time religion all of my life. I used to get amazed at the people that came by Harvest that would preach for us, everybody from Ronnie Brock to Steve Brock to Gene Rice. They all claimed me as a convert. And, and they would talk in the pulpit. They would say, I remember the night that Jerry come down that aisle and knelt in that altar and got saved. And they say, that was during my revival. Well, they need to know I got saved a lot of times. About every revival had me for a statistic. But I, I can't really tell you what time it was. I remember the night in June of 1966 that I wrestled with God in the altar that night and laid down my ball bat and uh, picked up my Bible and began preaching the Word of God. And I wish I could tell you that was the end of ball playing, but I played ball for a lot more years before I really surrendered and became what God wanted me to be. You see, life is a journey. I wish that, that was the way Debbie believes about people falling in love. The music bells, uh, trumpets blow, lights flash when you... Meet that one that you've got chemistry with, as she said. Roger believes that. Where are you at, Roger? Yeah, Roger and Debbie believe that, and, and Gail does too. And I hope to God that's, that's true. But I, I can't tell you any bells or whistles or red lights or strobe lights or nothing happened when I met Debbie. I just simply said, I'm going to marry that girl. Sure did. <laughs> so I guess the bells rang, but I just didn't hear them. I guess whistles blew, but I never heard them. I imagine lights flashed, but I didn't see them. But I, I'm not married to Debbie because I heard whistles or I saw lights or something like that. I'm married to her because I took her. And she was crazy enough to take me. And the Bible said we became one flesh. 
In other words, that's that agreement that we have one with another. That's our, our marriage covenant. Amen. And well, we're getting on toward uh, that uh, <clears throat> half a century mark now. 47, I think it is, last account. Something like that. Wow. <laughs> we may be having more than 50-year deals around here for long. Wow. If she stays married to me that long. I kind of think she will. You know, when David was in the very bottom, in fact, he would probably have to reach up to touch bottom. He had so many things that had gone on in his life. Have you, have you ever really looked at the life of David and started off by saying he was a man after God's own heart? They call him the sweet singer of Israel because he loved to pluck those harp strings and sing those psalms. But I, I have to admit to you, he, he wrote those songs and wrote that, those meditations of my heart amidst a lot of turmoil that went on in his life. From the crucible of all kind of difficulty and hardship being sought like an animal by Saul the king. And in that episode, the Bible said that Saul went into a cave and uh, to relieve himself, to, was what the Bible says, and not realizing that David and his men were hid from him in that same cave. And that David sneaked around and cut a piece off of his robe and showed it to him from the other side of the mountain after he got out of the cave. <laughs> showed it to him and said, is this not a, your hem of your garment? He said, yes, that's it. Where did you get it? He said, you were in a very vulnerable place and I could have killed you. But I didn't kill you because I had respect for God's anointing. You're the one God anointed to be the king and God forbid that I should raise my hand against God's anointed, he said. Well, that's a lot of kindness, wasn't it? Well, Jesse did a good job raising him. Raised him right. Don't exchange evil for evil, but exchange good for evil. Don't be angry and malicious and hostile and arrogant, but be kind and be gentle and be giving. Well, did Saul respond favorably to that pastor? No. He went back to his rat-killing ways. He went right on with seeking after David to kill him because he saw him as a threat to the throne. So then David's generosity and David's goodwill was all for naught. No, not really. Because God was shaping and forming David at that time and helping him to understand that sometimes things seem one way but they're really not that way and the only way that you can tell the difference is what you know in your heart to be true about God and who he is and what he has to do with you and your life and because you know that you don't get so overwrought about things that go the other direction, about when the bad guys win. And for some of you, that's when Alabama beats Auburn or Auburn beats Alabama. Or for basketball fans, it's when the Suns got beat by the Bucks. Sometimes the good guys don't always win. Sometimes righteous people don't always win. Well, Pastor, the Bible said we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And I've heard you say we're a winner, not a loser. Oh, yeah, you're a winner. But what I'm saying is that things don't always work out, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Because sometimes bad things happen to good people. And it's a fact good things happen to bad people. 
And that is the fact that our God is not a respecter of persons. It rains upon the just and the unjust. But when David was in his latter years, in fact, he says, I once was young and now I'm old. So this is an old man that's writing this psalm that we're going to read today. Psalm 37. And David has lived his whole life. And he said, I once was young, now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bread. Now that don't mean that God's people have never begged for bread. It just means he hasn't seen it. That means God's been good to him. That means he's never seen a time when he had to beg for bread. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen God's seed out begging for bread. That was his individual life. He was saying, for me, that's never happened for me. Don't doubt that sometimes people had to beg for bread. There was a little widow woman one time that had a drop of oil. And she had a pinch of meal. And the preacher came by. And the preacher said, make me a cake. And she said, I'm gathering up sticks right now to build a fire. I've got a pinch of meal in the barrel. And i got a drop or two of oil in the cruise. But at your word, at your commandment, and I believe you're a man of God, and I believe you're a prophet of God, and I believe the anointing of God is upon you because what you say, that's what I'm going to do. And the Bible said she went in the house and she made the cake and she made the oil and she made it into a cake, brought it out, and the prophet began to eat it. And the prophet then prophesied to her. You know what he said? That cruise will never be empty. And that barrel will never be empty. But as long as this famine lasts and as long as people are begging for food, you won't have to beg for food because God is going to supply your need. Isn't that great? So David is just simply saying, he said, there have been times when good people beg for bread. I've never seen it. It's never happened to me. It's never come to my door. But thanks be to God, he takes care of the righteous. We know that when Jacob sent his sons down to Egypt, they were begging for food, begging for food. And as a result of all that, his whole family wound up in Egypt and got to marrying and having babies until there was four million of them. And suddenly the family became a nation. And God had this covenant with them, the Mosaic covenant. We started out with the Adamic covenant and then went to a Noahic covenant. And then we got to another covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. You remember what the Abrahamic covenant was? Surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And your seed shall be as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the heavens. And whosoever blesses you, I will bless them. And whoever curses you, I will curse them. And out of your seed shall Shiloh come. Shall Christ, the, the living Messiah, will come out of your family. In fact, it narrowed down by the time of, of David's time to where God said to David, he said, a member of your family will always sit on the throne of Israel. Boy, what a covenant that was to him. Would that mean all of his troubles were over? No. Did that mean that he had it all figured out and for the rest of his life he just sung songs and wrote meditations and just put things together for God and God's house? No. I wish I could tell you he got it all worked out after that. After he got anointed. And brother, after then he, he is anointed king 
and had to run for his life. And he wrote this psalm. In 37, verse 1, it says, do you see the parentheses? A psalm of David. Now, why did he put that there? Because he wanted you to know where it came from. There was another guy that wrote psalms. His name was Asaph. A-S-A-P-H, Asaph. It's written in some of those psalms you'll see it says a song of Asaph. Do you know who Asaph was? His name means to burn. Well, that's a good name, isn't it? Burning. He was one of the worship leaders over at the temple. In fact, David appointed him and two others as the leaders of music in the temple. Wow. That was quite an honor to put that on him. But Asaph didn't write this one. David said, I want people to know I wrote this. I'm going to own this, and I'm going to tell you, it's my writing and it's my doing. I said this. You don't have to tell anybody he said. I'll just look you in the eye and say, I said. Isn't that great? He was willing to own his own words. That's a, a, a commendable thing that people will let their yay be yay and their nay be nay. He said, I'm going to say this, a Psalm of David. Fret. Fret. Not thyself because of evildoers. Now, throughout this psalm, this psalm is a psalm of contrast. Good and evil, right and wrong. The righteous and the ungodly. There's several contrasts all in this. Evildoers and, and righteous people and spiritual people and fleshly people. It's got all kinds of contrast throughout this whole psalm. Fret not thyself. What does it mean to fret? One writer said it means to work yourself up into a frenzy. Kind of close to getting mad, ain't it? Fret not thyself. In other words, don't get all worked up. One writer says it means to cease being warm. Huh. Well, we got... One music minister's name is fire and burn. And we're saying fret, that means don't get cold, cease to be warm. And what it means is our behavior is that you start being cold with people, that you stop being warm with people, that you're no longer that warm person that you used to be. And what caused you to be that way? Because I started looking at other people and they've got more than I've got. Because I see people driving a car newer than mine. Because I see people that have more square footage in their house than I do. Because their cars are a later model. Because this, they wear these kind of clothes. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, One of the worst things you can do spiritually is compare yourself to others. God loves you equally the same as he does everybody. He does not love me any more than you, doesn't love you any more than me. His love is consistent. His love is unconditional. He doesn't love me because I preach. He doesn't love me because I pastor. He doesn't love me because I tithe. He doesn't love me because I'm a member of the church. He loves people who don't tithe and aren't a member of the church and don't preach and don't do anything. For he loves them just as much. How much does he love you? He loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves everybody. Used to have a little fellow in, in, in church and uh, had an evangelist and he would, you know, pastors are easy on you. These evangelists, they'll come in and shears the cheap. Amen. <laughs> and the evangelist, he was really letting them have it one night. I mean, he was, he was all over them. And, uh, he said, now I'm going to tell you something. God loves everybody. Now I want you to know God loves me. And Eddie, that little fellow on the front said, hmm, I imagine he's just wild about you. 
Well, the truth is he is wild about you and he loves you and he cares about you and he cares about your well-being and he cares about the good for your life. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be a good advertisement for serving God. He wants your light to be a bright light. He wants your salt to be salty. He really wants you to influence people toward God and righteousness and the word of God. He really does. And he says here in this Psalm, David, uh, and terrible things happened to David and God said to him, not only will you sit on the throne, but he said the sword will never depart from your house. What does that mean? That means live by the sword, die by the sword. That means everything that you touch, you got to fight for it. That sword would never depart. You'll always have a member of your family on the throne, but you'll have to fight for it. Have to fight for it. Fret not thyself. Don't get all worked up. Don't start pe treating people differently. Don't get cold and indifferent where you used to be warm and cordial. Well, I don't know what's wrong with brother so-and-so. He just sets off to himself now and won't have nothing to do with nobody. Leaves before we can dismiss so he won't have to speak to anybody. Fret not thyself over evildoers. Don't let somebody get on your last nerve. And you might as well admit you at some time have done that. Brother, when I love the Lord with all my heart, I only date Christian boys. I only go out with Christian men. My neighbor down the street, I ain't had a date since I don't know when. I can't find a good Christian man, da-da-da-da-da. My friend down the street, she don't care anything about God or church or morals or nothing, and these handsome hunks coming to see her all the time. Don't that just irritate you? Here I am trying my best to, to get by, and old so-and-so down there, he just does everything he touches. It turns to gold. And I can't get anything to rock. Galls you, don't it? Aggravates you, don't it? And that's why David put that in there. He said, don't let that happen to you. Don't let yourself get to a place that you're holding God accountable for everything this one got, and you're supposed to get some too. I've got two kids, and they are as different as daylight and dark. Really do. Y'all know how different they are. Rachel, brother, she's just outgoing, and her room all the time was a mess. I mean, when you went into Rachel's room, there wasn't anything orderly about that place. Everything in it was disorderly. I mean, bed not made, pillows in the floor, dirty clothes thrown over in the corner. Rachel, clean up this room. Don't let me have to come back up here and tell you again, get this room cleaned up. And she was so afraid of me. She just jumped right to it. Yeah, sure. Next time I was up there, it was tell her the same thing over and over. But you know what, Brother Don? You can go down there to the place where they live now and go in her bedroom. The bed is made. There's no clothes laying around in the floor. Everything's picked up and in its place. She is just a wild woman about everything being in its place and being in order. And fusses at her brother because his is out of order. If you were to go over to the house right now and go in Brian's room, whew, it's a mess. Amen. And Brian, you can tell him and tell him and tell him and tell him, pick up after yourself. If you drink a Coke and get through with a can, go take it to the trash can. Does that ever happen? No. So how do you deal with kids like that? Beat the fool out of them, preacher. 
No, I'm glad God don't beat the fool out of me when I'm all messed up, aren't you? Sometimes my walk with the Lord kind of gets messy. And sometimes my serving him and loving him and uh, it's got spiritual highs and spiritual lows. And sometimes I, 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 I'm good. Sometimes I'm not so good. And, and serving him and on this journey that we call life, brother, it has many turns and many ups and downs. The one thing you cannot do is to become angry with God over something you feel like he wouldn't do for you. Let's find out what we'll do. Fret not thyself over evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. What does that mean? Envious. It means I wish I was like them. I wish I had what they've got. You mean sometimes, pastor, that you want the same thing an evildoer's got? He said, don't be envious of those folks. You just think they've got something. You just think they're abounding. If you really knew the truth, you'd find out they're poor and wretched and blind and hungry. Yeah, don't be envious. Don't be fretful and don't be envious against the workers of iniquity. The Bible says, verse 2, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and withereth as the green herb. Here's your first piece of advice. You got it? Trust in the Lord. And do good. Do right. Do justly. Trust God and do right. Well, I come to church today. Why did you do that? Because it's right. I pray before I eat my food. Why you do that? Because it's right. I get down and pray by my bed before I go to sleep. Why do you do that? Because it's right. I get God's word and read it, read it several times during the day. Why? Because that's right. I've even got it on audio. While I'm riding down the road, Randy, I turn it on listen to it. Why do you do that? Because I want to put it in my heart that I might not sin against God. You can't stand up here and quote it if you never learn it. You got to learn it. You got to put it in your heart and put it in your mind, put it in your spirit. Trust in the Lord. Are there anybody here that trusts the Lord? Are there anybody here that had to just blindly trust God when it didn't feel like he was working and you didn't know anything about how he was working. You just had to trust him and know that he's working. That even when it don't feel like he's working, he's working. And even when he tells me I'm free and I've got these chains all over me, I, I, I trust God I'm free and I'm going to be free, and I'm going to be delivered, and I'm going to be healed, and I'm going to be blessed, and I'm going to be forgiven because I trust in the Lord with all my might, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my energy. I have put my faith and my trust in the God of my life. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And verily thou shalt be fed. Trusting in the Lord means you'll always be a lunchroom. Trusting in the Lord means that he will take care of you. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Number four. You ready for this one? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight myself in the Lord. It's one thing to trust the Lord. It's another thing to be delighted in the Lord. Is it delightful for you to come to his house and sing praises? Is it delightful for you to hear his word read? Is it delightful for you to hear the word of God preached? Is it delightful for you to lift up holy hands and worship the Lord without wrath? In that psalm, David addresses that old age-old question. How do the righteous, in comparison to the wicked, here it is, the, the righteous delight 
themselves in the Lord. I often get amazed. I had two funerals this week that I attended. I went to one Friday that lasted two hours. Amen. The front end of that service was very tough when the family all came in and brother, it was so hard, so difficult. And they were just torn apart. But when the man of God started preaching, I looked over at that woman who had been collapsed in her husband's arms and the funeral director giving smelling sauce to try to keep her awake. When the word of God began to be preached, I saw that mama that had that dead boy laying in that casket. I saw her get up. Did you see her, Brother Ford? I saw her get up. And I saw her start stomping her feet. And it wasn't long, Charles, before I saw a hand up in there. Next thing I know, she's got both of them up and she's dancing before the Lord. The anointing of the Holy Ghost, the anointing of the power of the living God touched a woman and delighted her. Though she was broken and though she was grieving and though she was at the very depths, she found a reason to shout and rejoice and praise the Lord over his word. That's what I'm talking to you about. Delight yourself in the Lord. There are many things in which you can be delighted. But brother, when the Lord delights you, when heaven delights you, when the earth begins to lose its, its exciting power and you start falling in love with a, a world that is to come, you realize this is not it. This is just a brief journey that one day I'm going to be in the presence of my God and I'm one day I'm going to be in the presence of the king of all the earth. One day I'm going to be in one eternal day of joy and bliss and pleasure forevermore. And I've just decided I'm going to lay up treasures for that time. I've just decided that I'm going to delight myself in that time. I'm going to delight myself in the things of the Lord. Trust the Lord. Do right. David had been there. David had suffered all of those things. David had gone through terrible times. In his, in his life before he wrote this. In fact, he had been where this young mother I just told you about was. And that story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 tells a story about a, a young woman named Bathsheba. And we're all very acquainted with David's sin, aren't we? What was David's sin? I, I can preach on that again because y'all don't know that story. That, that gets on there next Sunday because y'all need to know that one. He committed adultery. Sometimes God's children do things they shouldn't do. Sometimes God's children that are supposed to trust the Lord, supposed to keep His commandments, supposed to walk in the light, supposed to do all the things the Word of God says, sometimes they don't. And we talk about David's sin because David's sin was awful. You know, he not only committed adultery with another man's wife, he then had that man killed, had him murdered. And then he took Bathsheba for his own wife. And boy, he thought he had that thing covered up. He thought he had really taken care of business. They'll never find out. I've got this fixed. But see, what started that whole thing was a thoughtless 
deed on the part of Bathsheba. Hers was a small sin, an ignorant sin, but it led to bigger sin. Anybody hearing me in this house? Hers was a small sin. She just went out on the back porch and stripped off all of her clothes and got in the bathtub. But that was a stupid thing to do. That was ignorant as all get out. Because David watched that whole thing. And you just have to kind of wonder, Bathsheba, did you not take inventory? And did you not see vantage points that you could be seen naked, taking a bath? That bad things could happen as a result of that? Let's just say she was ignorant. Without knowing any more facts than that, let's just call her ignorant. Well, a lot of people have been ignorant, have done some stupid things. Instead of being led by the Spirit, they're led by the flesh. And when David had Uriah killed and took Bathsheba, for his wife, he thought everything was okay, that God would be all right with that. But God had a prophet whose name was Nathan. And Nathan went in to David and he said, David, he said, there's a man in your kingdom and he has many, many flocks and many, many herds. And said, there's another man in your kingdom and he only has one little lamb. And a stranger came through at the house of the rich man and David identified with this because he was a shepherd himself, you know. And he said, this stranger stopped at the house of the rich man, and instead of killing one of his lambs and feeding the stranger, he went over and took the one little lamb out of that poor man's arms and killed that lamb and fed it to the stranger. David jumped up from his throne and shouted, in thunderous tones, the man that did this must surely die. And Nathan said some of the most famous words in Scripture. Thou art the man. David realized then that when you dwell in the tents of the wicked and when you act like the wicked, and you talk like the wicked, and you do things like the wicked, there's some wicked consequences. Because God told David, he said, that child will be born, but that child will not live. David went out and laid on the ground seven days and didn't eat and didn't wash himself but lay there in the dust. Finally, on the seventh day, Amy, the servants came out and stood watching him, and he got up and he washed his face, and he dressed himself. They said, why did you get up? He said, I knew when you came out here that the child is dead. And he said, I can't bring that child back to me. But he said, by God's grace, I can go to where that child is. Anybody hearing this preacher? Fret not thyself over evildoers. You don't want any part of that. Fret not yourself over evildoers. You don't need to be envious of them. Well, that is so terrible, Pastor. That's awful. But as one popular says, there's the rest of the story. Because that wasn't the last child that Bathsheba had. She had another child, and God said, blessings shall be upon his life. And God asked that child when he was grown, he said, what do you require of me? What would you like to have? I'll give you anything you ask for. And he said, I'd like to have wisdom. And his name was Solomon. And if you'll trace the ancestral line of Jesus, you'll find that Bathsheba was on the family tree of the Lord Jesus. She was a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. 
You think God restores and God heals and God... That is good to clap about. I think we should clap about that. That God is a God of second chances. But don't ever think that the wicked have it better than you. Don't ever think that the people that work iniquity have better than you. Hey, God has got something so good for you. He says that you need to do what? Patiently wait. Delight in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Next verse. Come on, I'm fixing to land this plane. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him, and he will bring it to pass. Commit yourself to the Lord. Is anybody committed here? What does committed mean, Pastor? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is there anybody committed? Commit yourself and commit your life to God. And he said, he will bring it to pass. Next verse. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. In other words, what God observes in secret, he will reward you openly. Next verse. I'm hurrying, I promise. Trust in the Lord and wait. Ooh, I don't like that. Cindy don't like that. That waiting on God. Trust in the Lord and wait patiently. Oh, Lord. How did that word patiently get in there? Fret not thyself over evildoers, but wait patiently for the Lord. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Wait patiently on the Lord. Pass up on all the rest. Cancel your order on everything else. Don't sign for the package on anything else. Just wait on God. Wait on the Lord. Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Help us, God, to be patient and wait on the coming of the Lord. The Bible said for us to be diligent and be committed as we wait for the coming of the Lord. Next verse, and I'll be through. Cease from anger. Don't let anything get you so angry that it would tarnish your relationship with God. Anger is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Anger gets a hold on you. Anger will just put a chain around your neck. Anger is a cruel taskmaster. I went into a service one night to preach the gospel. And some brethren in the church came to me and said, uh, Pastor said, you might ought to not preach tonight. I said, why? He said, there's a man here and he's so angry. He said, he is so, so ill and he's so, so belligerent. He's cursing and swearing and said he's got a, a, a terrible, terrible attitude. And I said, well, take me to him. I'd been going getting a car, preacher. And I said, take me to him. And they said, oh, no, you must not go in there. And I said, hey, I'm not afraid of him. I walked in that room, and he let out a big cuss word and started to him. And I said, stop. In the name of Jesus, all that foul spirit of anger and animosity, come out of him. Tears started running down his cheek. Grabbed me around the neck and hugged me, sobbing, saying, I am so sorry. Pastor, I am so sorry. I said, no, that's not necessary. There was something motivating you and there was something speaking through you. This Bible I preach out of, Randy says, in my name they'll cast out devils. These signs shall follow them that believe. And Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. So it's a matter of authority. 
Brother, if you'll take authority over that spirit of anger and that spirit of hostility and that spirit of animosity, take authority over it. Say, hey, you're getting out of this house. You're not staying here no more. You've caused me enough heartache, enough pain, enough sorrow, and in Jesus' name, you get out of my house. Get out of my life. Get out of my address. Don't you ever. Wow, you mean you talk like that, Pastor? Sure. Jesus said, behold, I give you power. Somebody say power. Power. Behold, I give you power. And he said, if you ask anything in my name, somebody say anything. Anything in my name, I will do it. I will do it. God is a, a God who hears the cry. His ears open to your cry. God is a God who is touched by the feeling of your infirmities. He knows all about what you're going through. You don't have to even rehearse it to him. James said he knew your request before you ever made it. And he says, just don't be fretful over evildoers. Don't be envious, but commit your way. Cease from anger. Stop it. Stop it. He didn't say, go find somebody that will help you get counseling for your anger. He said, cease. Just stop it. Somebody say stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. How do you quit drinking, Pastor? Just stop. How do you keep quit dope and stop? How do you stop being abusive? Stop. Just stop. Come on, somebody. You need to say amen to that. Just stop. Just stop. It just says, stop, cease, cease. Well, I don't, I don't think I could do that, Pastor. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You don't have to be a slave to a bad temper. You quit limping around on that excuse. That's just the way he is. You'll just have to overlook her. That's just her way. Well, you need to quit your way. You need to change how you are. If that's how you is, then quit being like you is. And just stop that. Just stop it. I said, just stop it. If you've got a tongue that sows discord, just stop it. Next time you catch yourself in the middle of talking about somebody and gossiping and rumoring about something you don't know anything about, just stop it. Just, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, tongue, in the name of Jesus, let's get a bridle on you. In the name of Jesus, you stop that mess. That's the devil's work and you're not going to do it. Amen. How do you do it, pastor? Cease. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Don't let your response to other people's doings cause you to be an embarrassment to the testimony of the saving grace of Jesus. Don't do that damage. Amen? Just don't do that damage. Who knows? But what your submission to God, committed to God, Trusting God would be what it would take to win some lost person to the Lord. Maybe God could use your testimony that when you got every reason to be mad, you're not mad. You got every reason to be throwing things, but you're not throwing things. Come on, somebody. I believe God works miracles, and I believe He changes people's lives. And I believe he, because He changes people's lives, He can change your habits. Well, Brother Jerry, pray for me. I got this old filthy mouth. Well, stop it. I said, stop it. Well, how am I going to do that? Start praying and fasting about it. Say, God, help me get rid of this nasty mouth I got. God, I'm, I'm going to do without my, my breakfast this morning because I want you to know I'm serious about this. I don't want my mouth to be filthy and nasty and full of all kind of 
profanity and stuff like that. God, I want you to touch me and help me my testimony. I want my testimony to be a good testimony. Come on, somebody. So you ought not preach like that, Pastor. We're on the internet. People think we're a bunch of, bunch of wholeness people. Really? Really? You think people will think we're holiness people because I'm preaching like this? Well, hey, get off that stool and let's preach about another hour if that's the way it is. I want you to know that God, the Bible tells us, is going to have a people. Going to have a people. And his people are going to be a tested and a tried people. That's right. But hey, the Bible said, don't worry about that. Jesus said, I've made a way for your escape. Every time the devil backs you in a corner, I've made a way for your escape. Every time he lays a snare and a trap, I've sent an angel down there to disarm that thing. To disarm that thing. To disarm that thing. You know what I do, Barbara, when I get home? First thing I do is go over and disarm the alarm system. Boy, there's a lot of preaching to do right there, and I've got to go. Have you disarmed the alarm system? You forgot to alarm it and reset it. And while you were out, some things come into your home and come into your family. Because you didn't set the alarm system. Brother, I love it when I get home and it's still activated. That means nobody has set it off. When we first got this building here, I spent every night for how many weeks, Don, coming over here and turning off the alarm system. Don gave them his number so they'd call him and wake him up in the middle of the night. And he'd call me and he'd say, Pastor, can you go over there and do something about that alarm? I'm glad God's got an alarm system, aren't you? Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is my alarm system. Is he yours? The Holy Spirit is my alarm system. Yes, he is. And if you don't think he'll set off the alarm, brother, when I have a, a boil up, a spring up, it sets off the alarm. And good things happen when God comes in.